Hi, I'm Gabriel Garcia. My wife, Legenska, and I have the privilege of pastoring Emmanuel Church here in Houston, Texas. We're excited that you're joining us here today on our podcast. We hope that we can connect with you in person, Sundays at 11.30 a.m., on our social media outlets at My Emmanuel Church, and on our website at myemmanuelchurch.com. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and inspires you. Enjoy. Awesome. That was an awesome song. That song. Uh, it'll be out on single soon on iTunes. <laughs> um, we are so glad that you're here today. If you're joining us here for the first time, we're glad you're here. If you are a regular here, uh, so glad to have you home today. Um, we are beginning a new series this week called uh, Heart of God. Heart of God. And I know that February is the month of, uh, people often call it the month of love. And there's a bunch of things really going on in February. We just know that Valentine's Day is this month. And uh, the I, I like it in Spanish. In Mexico, they celebrate it as the Dia de la Amistad y Amor, like day of friendship and love. So it's not just for couples, it's for you know, friends too, you know? Where everybody gets to experience the love during the month of February. And so we wanted to do a series, I wanted to do a series based around that. Traditionally, uh, a lot of churches do relationship series around this time of year. Um, I have always said that until I've been married five years, I won't do one, but who knows, we'll see. Uh, maybe there might be a need to do something like that soon. Uh, but the heart of God, the, this series is, is based on the desire that I wish for our church to be able to know what it means to, to, be, to go after the heart of God. What it means to know God's heart. For us to be able to know who God has in mind when he talks about who he loves. Who God has in mind when he, when he asks us to love people. Because there's a, lot, there's a lot we can say. There's a lot of people we can say. We can be very vague or we can be very specific. But I want us to get, during this month, during this month, I want us to talk about what it means to know the heart of God. And so today, my, my the title of my message is, What is God's Heart? What is God's Heart? So we're going to start at the basics. We have to start at the foundation. I hope my mic doesn't die on me today. Uh, but we're going to go to John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. And that's where we're going to be reading this morning. And some of you might know this verse. John three sixteen is one of the most popular uh, scriptures in the world that people that aren't even Christian would recognize it, uh, along with a few other verses about love, because they always say them at weddings. Love is patient. Love is kind. You know, I think we're very familiar with these. But this, this, I believe, captures an, a, a, an essential glimpse into what it, who, what is God's heart. Who is he talking about? What does he want? And Jesus here is talking to a man named Nicodemus in the middle of the night. Nicodemus was scared to go and confront Jesus during the day because Nicodemus really wanted to know who Jesus was. He wanted to know more of him, to get a better idea of who he was. And he didn't want his friends to know that he, wanted to, that he was interested in what Jesus had to say. 
And so he confronts Jesus and he tells him and he starts talking about him. What is it that you're really talking about? Because I want to know. This sounds so different than what we're used to. And he talks to him about being born again. And he's like, well, that's weird. You know, man can't be born again. He was taking it very literally. I can't literally be born again. I've, I've been born once. That's, that's it. That's what happens. And Jesus says, no, no, it's like you're supposed to be a teacher of the law. You're supposed to be smart. You're a smart guy, and you're not getting this. You're not seeing the metaphor here, the, the, the literary devices that I'm using here. And he tells him, look, I need you to know something about what God came here to do. And the words in John 3, 16 and 17 are written actually by John because he tells us it's not the words of Jesus, and he tells us what Jesus had in mind in this moment as he was talking to Nicodemus, and he says this. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God, I ask that you speak to us today. Help us to understand your heart, what it means to know your heart, what it means to be able to get a, to, to, to walk with that, to, to know your heart so that we can have your heart for people, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite people in the Bible is King David. Um, King David is an interesting person because his life was a mess. Um, King David's life was a mess. He, he was... He, he grew up at, uh, in the shepherd, as a shepherd. Uh, he took care of sheep. Uh, he spent a lot of time on his own. His family didn't really like David. So he didn't have a great family life. He had a lot of brothers, but uh, he was always the outcast. He was the youngest. He didn't, nobody liked him. Uh, when the prophet came, there was a prophet that came to visit his home. And the prophet was looking for David. He didn't know that. And so he talked to all the brothers, and the dad was like, well, this is all my sons. And the prophet's like, isn't there anyone else? He's like, well, there's the youngest, I guess. He was a mess. Nobody wanted, nobody wanted David, yet David grew up to be a very confident young man despite all of that. And when he stepped into a battlefield, a place that he wasn't even supposed to be at the time, he wasn't there to fight, he heard a, a, a warrior calling against the people of God. And he says, this is not right because we stand for God and yet my people are cowering in fear. And then later throughout his life, we see David mess up a lot. He messed up. He, he did things that he shouldn't. He slept with women that he shouldn't have. He took her from her home. He, he, he directly disobeyed God when God told him not to do things. Yet God looked at David and said, this, this man right here, he is a man after my own heart. And see, so that doesn't make any sense because, you know, we, we might think of David like if you, would, if you wouldn't know his name. And I would to describe to you, you know, man, this guy, he was in a position of power. He abused his power. He, he used it to boost his ego. Uh, he, he, would, he basically raped a woman and all this stuff. And he did whatever he wanted to do. And he was just living for himself. And then I told you this man is King David. And God said that he was a man after his own heart. That doesn't make any sense. 
That picture doesn't make any sense. So why is it that God called him a man after his own heart? I want us to be able to understand what the heart of God is for us to be able to figure out why David was loved by God like that. We have to understand who God's heart is for. Because if we don't, this story doesn't make sense. And if we put ourselves in the same story, we, we feel the same way. Well, I'm not deserving of God's heart. I'm not deserving of God's love. Because I've messed up so much. So much. So what is God's heart? What is it? We, we chase after it. We chase after this idea of God. We want to know God. We want to, we want to, uh, we, our whole series last month was about uh, chasing after God, seeking after God, and experiencing his presence. But what does that mean? Because a lot of times we think we're chasing after God when we're really chasing after an empty idol. We have this idea of who God is, that God is, a, a, is stern, I don't know, what do you picture in your mind when you think of God? Like, when I was a kid, I used to think of God as this old man with a long beard sitting in a chair. And it's like, oh, this is, this is God. This is who God is. And he's ready, getting ready to strike us down whenever something is gone. I had this idea that we're, we're, God was an angry person. And this idea has been built up throughout history. That idea has been built up throughout history because there's even one of the most famous sermons that was ever preached is called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And they focus on the aspect that God is angry at us. That for some reason, we cannot appease him no matter what we do, even if we try our hardest. But God's heart isn't angry. He's not angry. He's not angry at you. He's not angry at me. He doesn't hate us. Some people might think God hates us. You know, I, I knew someone in high school. Like, if I even step foot in the church, I'm going to turn off, like, light a fly, light a fly, fire. That just, I can't even touch anything holy. I'm just going to burn. That's it. You know, God wants to burn me. Like, I, I, he just hates me. He doesn't want anything to do with me. And people have that idea about God. But that's not God. That's not his heart. We have this idea, another idea of God, that God is, is just this magic genie in a bottle that wants to bless us all the time. God wants to bless you. This is true. God wants to bless us, but not in the way we think. We're focused so much on material things that God becomes a materialistic God that is to give us stuff whenever we want it, rather than what, that's not God's heart. That's not his heart. We, we chase after God and we chase after God and we're told so many different things and we have these pictures of Jesus that, that oh, what, what is he really to us? Some people paint Jesus as this uh, monk that was just this peaceful monk, but that doesn't match up with the scriptures either because God is so deep. That it can be hard to understand where he's coming from. But there is a, a clear picture that the Bible tells us above his anger when God is angry because he gets angry. Above his disappointment, above his sadness, above his, uh, the, the things that he desires. There is something that defines God above everything else. And when we just read those scriptures where the Apostle John writes, God loved the world. In fact, later in the book of 1 John, he tells us God is love. This is the core of God's heart. 
He is not manipulative. He's not trying. He's not like some people think God is a little kid with a magnifying glass trying to start fires with ants. You know, I don't know if you've ever tried to do anything like that. When I was a kid, I, I used to get a magnifying glass and I would try to start a fire. I'd never burn ants or anything like that because that just seems cruel. But people think that that's what God is, who he is and what he's trying to do to us. But that doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of what God's love is. We see God and we people focus so much on the negative that we paint this ugly, dark picture of God. We tell people they're going to hell if they don't believe in him. And we tell people all of these things that he's just going to do. And that's what they do. They get from it and they fear God. When God wants us to clearly see that there is something more to him than punishment. There is more to him than we often are told by the church. What we're often led to believe. He tells us in Romans 5 chapter 8. Uh, nope, that's backwards. In Romans chapter 5 verse 8. He says, the Bible tells us this. The Apostle Paul says, and God demonstrated his love. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, that's not the picture we get. We're told that God died for us to save us from burning. But that's not, that's not what he's trying to get at. He doesn't want us... It, God, Jesus dying on the cross wasn't just to be a, a, this lifeline to save us. It was so much more than that, so much deeper than that, that he tells us when Christ, while we were still sinners, when you and me and everybody else were still sinners, he died for us. He did not expect, and this is one of the most beautiful things, aspects of God's love, he did not expect us to accept what he had done for us. He expected us, in fact, to reject his love because that's exactly what was happening in the moment. People that he was dying for rejected him. They ridiculed him. They laughed at him. They didn't understand what he wanted. They couldn't understand God's heart because God's heart was beyond them. They thought it was military blessing, saving from physical life, the physical troubles of the world. They wanted God to be uh, this, this warrior, but he came as a man of peace. And when they wanted peace from Jesus, he came as a man of war and flipped over tables in the temple. Jesus is amazing. But he wants to give us this picture that while we were still sinners, he died for us. And didn't expect us to love him in return. But that didn't stop him from doing it. The love of God was so great that he said, I love you no matter what. Even if you never love me, even if you never like me, even if you never step foot into my house, if you never, you never hear about Jesus, even if you do hear about Jesus and reject him, even when you do love, even when you say, I accept Jesus, and then you live your life like you don't, I love you. You are mine. You, you are still who I died for. That is the beauty of God's heart. The beauty of God's heart is so much deeper than we imagine it because he's not here for certain groups of people. He's here for everybody because everybody's a sinner. We did a series like at the beginning of uh, when we first started the church called Friend of Sinners. Uh, and that's who Jesus was. Jesus often picked the people that were the outcasts. He, he picked people that nobody wanted to be around. 
The disciples were, were, were an example of this. They were an example of his love for people. Because he picked a bunch of people that it didn't make sense. He picked a couple of fishermen. They seemed like ordinary dudes. And it's like, well, what's so special about fishermen? The thing about the fishermen was, the thing about Peter and John and Peter's, uh, and their brothers was that they were chosen by Jesus when nobody else wanted, wanted them. See, in, in, the people, in, in, the, in the time of Israel, 2,000 years ago, rabbis would choose uh, disciples to follow them and they would teach them. They said, these people are worthy of learning, of growing, uh, of going further in their studies. Because every child in the, in the Hebrew culture would grow up learning the scriptures. And up until a certain point... That, that's where we get the bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs, these things, these traditions where they would uh, stand before the people and read the word of God uh, before them. And that would be their rite of passage. And so beyond that, though, there were people that began to study. We, we look at the Apostle Paul, and he was one of the chosen ones. He was picked out because his, he's like, man, he's sharp. He's smart. So I'm going to pick him. He's going to follow me. And he was taught, and he was taught so well, and he was very well educated. But the fishermen... Peter and John and them, they were rejected. They're like, no, you're not good enough. You're, you're not good enough. So you go and just do what your family does. Fish. Because that's all you'll ever be good for. Now, to some people, this might be like, man, I want that life. I want to fish. That's my life. You know, <laughs> that, that's my life. But... It was, a, it was a dirty job that other people didn't want to do. And so they were rejected because of it. Jesus chose tax collectors. Now, you know, nobody likes the IRS because they take our money. Um, but this is essentially what they were. But even more, tax collectors in the Roman day were people that were Jewish people that allied with the Roman Empire to tax their own people and then manipulate them even further and they would steal from them more money. And Rome didn't care. Rome didn't care as long as they got their money. It's like, I got my money. You can do whatever you want. We don't care. And so the tax collectors would often do that. They charge people over, overcharge people for taxes. And they're just like, well, Rome just raised taxes. And they were just lining their pockets. That's just the way the government works. They want more money from you. And they'd line their own pockets, line their own wealth, build up their own wealth. And so they were hated and despised because they were traitors. So God looked at the traitor, um, a, a, tra a traitor and said, you are chosen. He chose a couple of guys that we know are zealots. And zealots in those days were uh, basically uh, the rebel alliance in Star Wars. <laughs> they were fighting the empire. They were uh, full of energy, full of, they, they did what they could. And they did what they wanted to, to try and get Rome out of Israel. But that included murder. We don't know. If, it, if the ones that Jesus chose ever fought and killed any soldiers, but chances are they might have. They didn't seem like the, they, they were ready to follow Jesus into battle. They were ready to fight Rome on their terms. And they said, we got Jesus, now we can win. And so chances are their hands had been covered in blood. And he says, even still, I choose them. 
He chose someone who he knew would betray him to the cross. Knowing full well that, that, that Judas was never in it from the beginning. He called him and he loved him still. He loved him still, knowing full well that Judas would betray him. He knew from the very beginning. And I I feel, in fact, Jesus was very sarcastic about it at the last dinner that they had there. And Judas was like, I I don't know, there's this funny video I've seen. You know, you might think weird of me, but I'm your pastor. I know I'm your pastor or whatever, but I'm on TikTok. Um, and TikTok is an app. They've got a bunch of videos. And one of the funniest videos I love about it is like they, they do this scene from a, 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 a comic routine that Robin Williams used to do. And he was talking about the disciples. And it's like, uh, well, someone's going to betray me tonight. And the disciples like, Peter's like, is it me, Jesus? No, it's not you, Peter. Is it me, Jesus? No, it's not you, John. Judas. Is it me, Jesus? Is it me, Jesus? <laughs> is it me, Jesus? But in fact, the story kind of gives us that thing. And he's like, Judas asked the question, is it me? He's like, go, friend, do what you want to do. And he's like, okay. <laughs> but Jesus knew. Jesus knew that he was going to betray him. Yet Jesus still, on that night, the night he betrayed him, took off his clothes and washed his feet. And he said, I still love you, Judas. Until the very end, even when he was in the garden of Gethsemane, and Judas came up to him and he kissed him on the cheek. He says, do what you've come to do quickly, friend. He still called him his friend. This is God's heart for us. And I I love the story Jesus lives throughout his life because that was what he was constantly doing and asked of us to clearly see. He constantly went to the people that no one wanted to deal with, the people that people, others that people hated, the, the people that didn't make sense or shouldn't have been worthy. And he said, they are worthy in my eyes. This is God's heart for us. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. God not only looks at those that are unworthy, but he looks at those who are broken. His heart is for those who are broken, for the poor, for the, for the widow, for the orphan. And he tells us that I, 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 I want them, I want the church to be able to be this, 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 this life on earth that reaches out to those who have no one. Because it doesn't make sense to us sometimes. We're like, well, you know, God, the world is, you know, it, it's crazy right now. I saw, a tweet, uh, couple, uh, I saw a tweet yesterday that was like, um, can we all agree to just throw out January because it was like terrible? And 2020 starts now, February. Let's go. <laughs> and, and, and we think about it. It's like, why hasn't God come yet? We, we feel like it, it's been 2,000 years and things are just getting worse and worse and worse. Can Jesus, sometimes we just be thinking, Jesus, can you just come already? Because I'm tired. There's too much going on in the news. <laughs> Every five seconds, something happened. You know, we can't go a day without having a day of peace, it seems like, recently. We're like, Jesus, just come. I'm done. I'm ready to go. Paradise, rest, sleep for a thousand years. That's what I'm going to do when I get to heaven. Sleep for a thousand years. Then wake me up, and then I'll talk to Jesus now. <laughs> but we, we feel like that sometimes. And 
But I, I've always wondered about that. And I, growing up, I've always had that idea, like, I don't know about you, but I've had instances in my life where it's like, did the rapture happen already? Because I wake up and there's nobody home. <laughs> but it's not about that. It, it's so much more. God, God is waiting and he wants us to be able to see, because he wants us to be able to see something. He wants us to be able to see his heart. Because the Bible tells us that the fullness of time, the time where everything's going to start putting into motion will not happen until there is at least, at, at every person has been able to hear the gospel. Every person has had a chance at seeing Jesus. Because 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 tells us, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Wanting, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone, everyone to come to repentance. Everyone. We might wonder, it's like, why does God put up with people? Because he loves them. I can't put up with people. How does God do it? Because he loves them. He loves the sinner. He loves the broken, uh, brokenhearted. He loves the, those that are in suffering. He loves the ones that are lost and hurting. He looks at humanity and his heart weeps for it. And he tells us, my desire is that none should perish. That none should perish. That everyone would come to repentance, to come to know Jesus, to turn their lives around, to see the truth of who he is and what he wants for us. But our hearts as the church are often not focused on that. Instead, we chase, like I said, empty idols of who Jesus is and we act like we're God condemning people where Jesus would love them. We act like we're God. We act like we're gatekeepers telling people that they cannot be here because they don't look the part. I just saw this story on Twitter yesterday that, that broke my heart. And it was a pastor telling of how there, there was this young lady that had been coming to his church on her lunch break on Sundays. And she worked at Taco Bell and she would come in her uniform. And she would come in her uniform to church. And he's like, and she's been coming and she's been coming. He said, and she wasn't here this Sunday. And I know why. Because I saw someone tell her that there was a stain on her shirt. And it was disrespectful to be in the house of God like that. We act like we're these gatekeepers that we are in charge of what it means to be able to be here. But God wants us to be able to swing the doors wide open and say, it don't matter what you look like. It don't matter if you think you're ugly or you're beautiful. It don't matter if you're dressed well or you're dressed like, you know, shorts and tank top. It don't matter if you don't talk the talk, don't walk the walk. If you don't know who Jesus is, if you're a Buddhist, a Muslim, an atheist, he doesn't matter. He wants you here because he wants you to know how much his love is, has done what it's done for you. That he doesn't care. He doesn't care like we care. Because he doesn't look at the outside. He looks at our hearts. And he wants us to not look at, he wants us to see his heart for people. He wants us to chase after him for certain, for, for, for the deeper things. Not that we'd be good people because good people can only get so far in life. You can try to be good all you want. It ain't going to do you so much. And we can try to be good at our jobs. 
and they'd still fire you. <laughs> it's true. They don't care. They care about money. You can try and be as good as you want at your job, and they will still fire you. You can be, try to be a good son, a good daughter, and you can still have problems at home. You can try to be a good student, and you can still fail. And we look at these situations in our life, and we think that this is what defines us. But God wants us to look past the surface level because that's what we will only ever do if we continue living this way. We will live as surface level Christians. We will live as Christians who just scratch the surface of who God is and that we sing the songs and we know the verses and we come to church and we say a prayer once or twice a week and that that's enough. But we will never scratch the deeper meaning of life. Some of us have been wondering, why can't I get closer to God? We talked about getting closer to God and everything last, last month. And some of us are wondering, why can't I get closer to God? Why can't I see God in my life? Why can't I feel God in my life? Because we are not stepping out of our way to actually serve other people, to love other people. Because that's where God is. We wonder, where is God in my life? He's doing stuff for the people that need him. Yes, you need him. You might think, well, I'm, I'm struggling. I need him. I, I'm going through stuff. And he's right there with you. But he wants us to step out of our comfort zone and actually love other people because in that love, in the loving of other people, we discover the love of God. Because that's what he's doing. That's where he's at. Where is God in our neighborhood? He's out there with the homeless. Walking with them. Making sure that they're okay. He's, he's there in the room with the people who overdose. Comforting them. In their moments, he's there when we, he's there with the unbeliever, with the atheist who, th- who is going through a struggling life, who is going through a difficult life and saying, there is no one who can help me this, through this situation. And yet he is there. This is God's heart. His heart is for the sinner. His heart is for the broken. His heart is for the lost. His heart is for you, is for me. But we will never understand the deepness of God's heart if we're only seeing it for ourselves. Because that's what we do. That's the surface level Christian right there. Only seeing what we can get out of Christianity. Only we can get what we can get out of God. And not what we can do for others. I'm, gonna, I'm already going to start preaching in next week's sermon if I don't stop right here. So I'm going to close right now. We want to be a church that connects with the heart of God. We don't want to be a church that is just surface level, that we're just doing things because that's, that's what we're supposed to do. But a church that genuinely connects with God's heart, that begins to understand it. And if you feel like, well, I, I'm not there yet, it's okay. It's okay. Because it's hard to change what you're, you've been used to. It's hard to change that. It's hard to change what you've always been taught. It's hard to believe anymore that it's not about what I wear to church because that's what we've always been told. We have to dress right to be able to be right with God. But it's not about that. It's not about what we do. 
obviously, because I talked about King David. I talked about the disciples and how their lives were a mess. They were unworthy, unqualified. They were sinners in their own right. And they were, some of them were terrible people. Yet he looked at them and said, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. My heart is still for Judas. My heart is still for John, for Peter, for, for Gabriel. He's still for you. And for every other person on this planet, because he says, I desire that none should perish. And so if we want to be a church that is the heart of what is God doing in this world, if we want to know the heart of God, first, we need to be where his heart heart is and start talking to people. Start loving people where they're at no matter if no matter if we think they they're worth it or not because god believes that they are stand with me this afternoon i know it was a little serious this morning but it's important that we start here because it's a serious thing for us to not misunderstand what God wants from us. His heart is. For the rest of this series, we're going to be talking about what it means to be active in that. What it means to love those that God, that we think we should be hating. To love those that maybe have hurt us. What it looks like to love people in difficult situations. And how we live that out in our lives. So our challenge, my challenge for you this morning is as we come in prayer before God, as we close out this service, is to ask God, help my heart be like yours. Help my heart break for those whose your heart breaks for. Help me love those who you love. Help me see where, who you are because Maybe you feel like I've gotten it wrong. I've been taught the wrong thing all this time and I want to get it right. I want to know who you really are. Or maybe you're in this place in this moment and you say, I feel like I'm unworthy. I feel like I don't deserve it. And that's what I've been told. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus says you're worth it. You're loved. You're cared for. And that he died for you and he gave himself for you to be able to know that today. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to be here today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your love, Lord Jesus. And I pray that you just be with us today. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to get aligned with your heart. Help us to see what your heart truly is, where you're working, what you're doing, Lord, so that it's not just surface level. We stop being surface level Christians and start loving deeply like you love people, Lord. And for those that might not feel loved today, for those that feel that no one loves them or they've always been unworthy, We're telling them today, you're telling them today that they are, that they were chosen by you, that they were loved by you, no matter how broken they are, no matter how far they think they've fallen or lost they think they are. You're here for them 
Jesus. So we thank you, Lord, for what you will do through this series, this teaching. We, we just pray that we become a church that is after the heart of God. If you enjoyed today's message, like and share it on social media and subscribe so you don't miss anything. If you'd like to support our church as we work to accomplish our mission of reaching our city and our world, go to myemmanuelchurch.com slash give. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day.